This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. It is important to note that the opinions expressed here do not necessarily represent the views of Classic City Crime Podcast or Cameron Jett. All persons are ultimately innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Listener discretion is advised. The case we'll be covering in the next few episodes of Classic City Crime is perhaps unlike any case we've ever covered here before. It's similar in that the case remains on the list of 40 unsolved homicides here in athens Clark County. But that might be where the similarities stop. In this case, we have not just one murder victim, but two. A young couple with their bright future ahead of them are brutally murdered in their home. A little girl now turned young woman orphaned and caught between two opposing families. My name is Kelsey Bryant. I am the daughter of Robbie Bryant and Janelle Holmes. A trust fund depleted. The prosecutor there, um, and I said, well, you know, who's the suspect in the crime? What's, What's the motive? And his classic response was, money is always a motive in murder. A group of friends completely and utterly shocked by the unfathomable violence and disregard for human life. The dog was barking hysterically and the door was locked and she could tell something was wrong. So she had the police come and do a welfare check and they ended up going in and they found the horrible scene. One reporter's desperate attempt to give the case more coverage. My name is Randy Travis. I am a investigative reporter with Fox 5 in Atlanta. And a current leader in our local police department who says the case is still at the top of his and his department's mind. Jerry Salters, I'm the chief of police for the athens Clark County Police Department. And perhaps the most interesting detail in this case, there's not multiple persons of interest. It's not a whodunit, if you will, but instead one man at the center of it all, even now. We've got a lot to cover together over these next few episodes, and we're going to do several things here. We're going to honor the lives of the victims, hear from their family and friends, revisit their last days, and yes, ultimately discuss this case that is still pending all these years later. We're going to call this season Robbie and Janelle as we center our story on their lives and seek justice together. This is Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. For this series, I want you to travel back with me first to 1993, just a year before this podcaster was born. Yes, showing my age a little bit there. It was a year filled with ups and downs in the news cycle, and the true crime stories of 1993 are, well, abundant. Wesley Allen Dodd was hanged in the state of Washington for assaulting and killing three young boys. This was the first hanging in the United States since 1965. In Waco, Texas, a 51-day siege occurs after the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms 
tried to serve a warrant on the compound of the Branch Davidians in which gunfire breaks out. The West Memphis Three, three eight-year-old little boys in Arkansas, are kidnapped and found murdered. John Ferry enters a law firm in San Francisco with a gun, killing eight people and injuring six others. He dies by a self-inflicted gunshot wound before facing arrest for his crimes. And Michael Jackson is accused by screenwriter Evan Chandler of sexually assaulting his then 13-year-old son. It was a case, of course, that was settled out of court. But here in Athens, in 1993, the lives of Robert Bryant, who, by the way, was known affectionately to those he knew simply as Robbie, and his partner Janelle Helms, well, their lives were just seeming to begin. The young couple were seemingly on the upswing. They welcomed the birth of a little baby girl in 1993, a baby they would name Kelsey. They were immersed in a strong circle of friends partly brought to them by the nearby University of Georgia community that we've talked about plenty of times here before. They were living their unique, exquisite lives in the privacy of their home located at 177 Michelle Drive and were planning the next steps of their lives a business venture you'll soon learn about. But before we get to the events of 1993 and of January of 1994, I want us all to take a moment to learn a little bit more about each of them as individuals. You know that's something that's very important to me here in this podcast. We do that in order to understand their unique lives at the time of their death. And to do that, it's important to travel back to learn who they were and where each of them came from. We do that to better understand their lives in the context of the time they were both murdered at just 23 years old. So, let's begin with the life and story of Janelle Helms. Janelle was originally born and raised in Peachtree City, Georgia, and she was the daughter of Rodney H. Helms and Joan Divine Helms. I want you to keep this point in mind, Divine is a name you're going to want to remember as we move forward through the course of this podcast. And there's one thing I've come to learn about Janelle through my conversations with her friends who knew and loved her best. She was outspoken, a free-spirited feminist, if you will, certainly ahead of her time, in a South that both then, and yes, even now, still seems to be very conservative. Nissa was one of the first friends of Janelle that I was able to interview for this podcast. Her insights into who Janelle was prior to relocating to the classic city where she met Robbie were deeply rooted in a friendship that began in elementary school. And perhaps it would be still thriving if it weren't for that unspeakable act we'll learn about together later. Here's Nissa on how she met and came to love her friend, Janelle Helms. Janelle actually, where she's still alive, would be my oldest friend. Um, I met her when we were in the third grade. We met, I, my memory, my first memory is on the playground at um, like Hood Avenue Elementary School in Fayetteville, Georgia. She and I both moved back and forth between Peachtree City and Fayetteville, so, um, which are neighboring towns. And so we knew each other then, and then she moved back to Peachtree City. And years later in, in middle school, I moved back and then we um, got to know each other again. Now, I asked Nissa to try to do one thing, and you know this, it's one thing we always try to do here at Classic City Crime. Paint a vivid picture for us, if you can, using words to help us better understand who Janelle was. 
specifically in these formative years of her life. It was singing, Nissa says, that led to Janelle captivating those around her. And as I often say, it's one of my favorite quotes, where words fail, music certainly speaks. And it wasn't just music that Janelle found happiness in. No, not at all. It was a deep love and appreciation for the arts. I think the thing that most anybody would point out first about her would have been her singing voice. Um, because that just, she had an amazing voice and just was so incredibly talented and such a gift for theater, not theater in the, in the sense of like the Broadway musical, but like being, giving a performance. And, um, she sang Send in the Clowns in eighth grade. I don't remember whether it was a pep rally or a talent show, but she like walked out with a bunch of balloons, helium balloons, and at the end of the song, she let them go. And it was just like brought down the house. <laughs> and for an eighth grader to kind of have that presence of mind, have that huge voice and have that ability to 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 draw people's attention in, in what seemed like an incredibly adult way, the way she handled herself was remarkable. Aside from that tremendous talent, she was a beautiful writer, um, wrote tons of poetry, actually really good poetry. I mean, I wrote poetry too, but mine was pretty crappy. Mine um, too. <laughs> <laughs> really talented writer, um, really well read, way beyond her years, was reading feminist literature. I don't even know how she got her hands on it growing up where we did in the, you know, I'm talking like in 1984 at the age of 14 and then, you know, throughout 84 to 88 was when we were in high school. She was ahead of her time. I think if she were growing up now, she would feel so comfortable with Gen Z and with, you know, the the more openness of sexuality, the more openness of gender, all the really bold discussions that we have about the world today would have been right up her alley. But in the mid 80s in Georgia, that made her kind of a black sheep and a rebel. And she was just kind of a wild child, um, not super wild, but just didn't really let herself be hemmed in by what people thought of her or what the normal expectations of adults might have been at that time. So she and I were kind of opposites in some ways. Um, she was, I was a little bit more reserved and um, I loved being around her precisely because she would just say anything and like just do things. And she was just amazingly brave and out there on the edge and just a ton of fun hilarious. And I certainly meant it when I told all of you that Janelle was ahead of her time by many years, both in her beliefs, yes, but also in the life that she so boldly led. You see, it was that boldness that led to an introduction to another friend of Janelle's, Stephanie. And let's just say, as we all know, sometimes first impressions are not indicative of the friendships that will soon thereafter follow. You know, it's funny. I, so yeah, I met her in high school and, you know, I don't know, it may have been ninth grade even when I met her. Uh, we were both in the French club together and I will, I, I didn't like her. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'll say. I didn't like her. I thought she was obnoxious. Um, I just, she just didn't sit well with me <laughs> for whatever reason. And, you know, I, but, you know, I put up with her. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until really was my senior year, the end of my senior year. Uh, so she was a year ahead of me in school. And a whole group of 
you know, the, the seniors ahead of us had were close, and uh, Janelle was one of them. And so, you know, I like I said, I had known her over the years. I tolerated her. But through that group of friends, they all kind of grew together because they had another friend that had been killed in a car accident. And I kind of tagged along. Um, but I got to know her and, you know, really – by then, I think I had I could appreciate her sarcastic sense of humor. Um, I could appreciate her uh, speaking up for herself, and um, we just clicked, you know. As Stephanie grew to learn throughout their high school and post high school careers, yes, there was certainly much more to Janelle than her outspoken boldness, and much like Nissa. Stephanie recalls how important feminism and, yes, challenging the status quo was to her. She was very, um, she was the first person I ever knew that described herself as a feminist and that it wasn't a bad word. Yeah. And um, I ended up going to a a college that had been a women's college until about four years before I got there. So it was still mostly women and very feminist then, and she and I really bonded over that um, and got closer over the years because of that. Now, one thing is for certain, I would not be surprised if Janelle were still here. She'd probably be a big part of the cultural movements that have shaped the classic city, movements that I am proud to be a part of. But you see, Janelle's upbringing, it wasn't always easy. It was one that many of you might be familiar with, taking care of an ill parent, having to put others ahead of herself, and strained relationships with her other parent. Here's Stephanie again. She did not graduate high school um, because her mother was very sick. Uh, She had cancer of some sort. I don't know. I never met her mom. Her mom was really in and out of the hospital towards the end stage of her life. But Janelle had dropped out of high school to take care of her mom. No, her dad was not already deceased. I I never met him, but she did not get along with her dad at all. Got it. Okay. And um, you know, close to her mom, did not get along with her dad. The the home was, you know, and I only was in her home a couple of times. But the one thing that really stuck out at me the first time I visited, again, it was towards you know towards the end of her mom's life. Her mom was in the hospital, but they had a hospital bed set up in the living room and. Um, it was probably, it was, it was the summertime. So, you know, June, July, whatever. And they had a Christmas tree set up in the living room, which, you know, it's a little odd and it wasn't a big tree. It was just a small tree, but Janelle said that her mom wanted it there because she knew she'd never see another Christmas. And I remember, I just remember thinking just how awful that must be to live with that, that, that illness for so long and in such an intense way and that constant reminder that you're not going to get another holiday with somebody you love. And it just, it just really struck me. Her mom died uh, that, that summer. The loss of one parent is hard enough, especially when you've been tasked of taking care of them. But for her father, who wasn't in the picture as much, he also passed away soon after. And I can't imagine the burden, the sense of loss that Janelle must have felt. Yet, 
still she pressed onward and forward. But there's one detail, and if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to pay very close attention to. Janelle's mother made sure that she would be taken care of even after her death. How? A trust fund. And Nissa remembers very vividly having knowledge of this important sum of money that would one day help Janelle build a future not only with the man she would eventually meet and fall in love with, but to also care for the birth of her daughter, Kelsey, years later. So when, as her parents were, you know, in their illnesses and passing away, Janelle did tell us about it. Like I knew she had the money to go to school because of course we were worried um, about her. Um, We didn't know how much it was. It wasn't like she told us like, hey, I have this amount of money, but we all knew that she had it. And um, it wasn't like a secret or anything. And so, you know, and I guess probably I was a little worried, like, is she going to be responsible with this? You know, you know, because you just, I don't know that I would have been responsible with it. Um, But, you know, I didn't ask her about it or anything. You know, I was like, you know, it's her life. She's going to have to live it. And she's been through hell, um, you know, all this tragedy. So, you know, I'm just glad that her parents were able to provide for her, uh, at least in that small way. And um, so we were aware that she had access to the money that she would need to, to, you know, like start her life. And that money indeed was managed seemingly well for young Janelle. Her uncle, Mr. Billy Mac Devine, as I'll refer to him in this podcast, was the conservator of that money. He made sure that Janelle was taken care of by getting little sums of money here and there until she reached a certain age. And keep in mind, this will become a crucial piece of the puzzle that will soon unfold. After her mother's death, Janelle would go on to serve her country in the United States Navy, perhaps searching for her place in the world, says Stephanie. You know, Janelle was, she kind of, she was lost, you know, for a while, I think, after her mom died. And, you know, she at one point, like, literally disappeared with her, her boyfriend and like lived in a motel for a, you know, we found them in a motel living there for a while. And um, she just kind of wandered, but she joined the Navy and I think she really enjoyed it. I think it kind of helped give her a purpose and straighten her out. She did really well. I remember her bragging about, you know, and unfortunately I don't, I don't have the letter with me that she, she wrote, but um she won some sort of uh, marksmanship award and if I remember correctly she may have like broken the the range record for you know marksmanship at a certain distance or something but it was I remember it being a big deal and she was real proud of that she wasn't in there long gosh maybe like a year or so I I, I don't even know Um, you know at the time that she was in the Navy I was in school um, in Maryland All of those roads, however, would eventually lead to a college town called Athens, better known to all of us sometimes as the Classic City. It's where many people, individuals, and students often come in search of a new start and to experience a whole new world. That's certainly what I came here for. Like when she first went, I think she was ready to have a change in her life after being in the Navy, and she was... She was just ready for that. She was ready to go to college. She was ready for that time in her life to start. You know, the um, several of us had been in college for a couple of years. So I think she felt kind of like, oh, you know, 
this is something I'm missing. And I'm, I, she was always very intellectual, very smart and loved learning. Uh, so I think she was, I just think she was ready. She was ready for that time in her life. Um, ready to go to school. Yeah, she was happy about it. But remember, Janelle is just one of two victims in this story. Up next, we'll introduce you to Robert Bryant, who we'll call Robbie, as we continue to begin this journey of honoring their lives 28 years later. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're like me, once you start a podcast, you want to binge it immediately instead of having to wait week to week. Am I right? Well, that's why when you subscribe to Classic City Crime Podcast, you'll get full access to all five episodes of Robbie and Janelle's story. Your support is so appreciated, and it's going to help me donate a portion of proceeds from the podcast for the next month to their daughter, Kelsey. But have no fear. For those of you who choose not to subscribe, the episodes will still release to the general public every Wednesday, just as I promised, to keep content as free as possible. So, if you don't want to wait, be sure to visit anchor.fm slash classiccitycrime slash subscribe to join the CCC insiders who are getting exclusive access to this content a bit early. Be sure to save the confirmation email you receive because there's an unsubscribe button at the bottom whenever you're ready. Thank you so much for your support, and now, let's get back to the story of Robbie and Janelle. And welcome back. We've learned so far about the bold, outspoken spirit that was Janelle Helms, but for a moment now, I want us to learn a little bit more about the second victim in this case, Robbie Bryant. Robert Dwayne Bryant was originally born in DeKalb County, Georgia, the son of his mother, Jane Bryant, who was still living, by the way, at the time of their deaths, and his father, Richard A. Bryant. Now, according to Robbie's obituary, he had called the Athens area his home since the early 80s and had a host of jobs that ranged from working with his family to working at Franklin's gun shop to eventually finding his passion in being a karate instructor. Now, Robbie was not the only child. He had two brothers, Richard Bryant, also known as Rick, who will become a key part of this story later, and another brother, Ronald. Chuck Jones was one of the many friends that Robbie and Janelle would come to know here in Athens, and I asked him to help us learn a bit more about who Robbie was, and as you'll find out, Robbie was a bit different from Janelle. Robbie was just, he was the most interesting person in that he was just this calm, kind of centered person. Uh, He never really seemed to get upset about much. Uh, he just he just was calm. He had this demeanor about him. Uh, he was, you know, he was a, a slight individual in that, you know, he probably only weighed, I don't know, 150 pounds, something like that, maybe 160. He was he was slender. Uh, he had long hair, wore glasses, um, but he was just this very intense type of person. Uh, one of the things that he was involved in was a martial art called uh, Kempo. Uh, Ed Parker style, actually, uh, and that kind of piqued my interest uh, once I found that out. And uh, he invited me over and said, "Hey, you know, uh, why don't I give you some lessons on it and see what you think about it?" So, um, but during that, um, I realized this 150 pound, 160 pound guy uh, was was much more, um, and he was just always in control. But he was such uh, a focused person because once you get into that particular martial art, you have to be. 
he was very good at what he did. Uh, he practiced a lot, but he was very, he was always very passive in terms of like non-violence. He would only, he would, uh, you know, we practiced a violent martial art, but it was one of those things to where it was always very controlled. You had to be controlled at all times when you, whenever you were doing things and you did not use violence out of hand. Uh, so it was just such an interesting, different kind of look of things. And he just always had that just calm and collected demeanor pretty much at all times. Uh, he was a great guy to be around. It's worth noting here that it was much more difficult to find people who could speak to Robbie's life and personality prior to the time just before his relationship with Janelle began. But I'd like to believe that his demeanor you hear Chuck talk about was something that was deeply instilled in him from a young age. Now, I asked Chuck about Robbie's background regarding school and work, and here's what he had to say. Don't recall him being in school. If he was, it was very kind of part-time-ish type mm. of thing. Um, but I don't think he was in school full-time. He definitely was not someone that we would hang out over at, say, UGA or something like that. Right, with. right. You know, he did he, he did some martial art instruction, mm. and of course he, he was paid for that. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure exactly some of the other things that he did. I know later um, he did go to work at Franklin's um, uh, here in town mm -hmm. at some point later, which I found kind of interesting. But uh, <laughs> you know, well, it was just it was just a little unusual for him, mm -hmm. at least so I thought. So, um, but I was like, hey, whatever, it's just a job, right? So. And it was that interest in martial arts, specifically Kenpo Karate, that was one of the first details that Sean Fannin, another friend of Robbie and Janelle's, recalls. Robbie was zen and quirky at the same time. And it was always uh, very interesting to interact with him depending on what the subject was. There were some things that he would uh, go on about that he would just be as nerdy as any other nerd could be. But then there were moments when you could engage him about more philosophical matters and about finding peace and finding um, a, a path to kind of controlling the, the, the traumas and the things around you. He was an extraordinary uh, martial artist. Uh, who was on his way to building um, quite the following um, in teaching Kenpo. He uh, had studied under uh, a, a, a master. I don't remember any of those details, and I'm sorry. I'm hoping you might be able to get that from somebody else. But I do know that um, he had uh, achieved quite a bit in the, in the study himself. And then he decided to begin teaching a number of us. And at first, we would simply practice in their backyard. And it was as much an experience in learning how to think and how to, to process your inner feelings uh, as it was to learn about combat and uh, fighting and defending yourself. The, the, the act of motion itself was important to him as a way of channeling your energies. And in those moments, the wisdom of someone many years older came out when you when you got to see that in Robbie. And it was so beautiful. And we knew that, you know, he was on his way with that. And I know that he, he wanted to open up, fully open up a school and, and Janelle 
wanted to help him do that, which does, by the way, get into what I believe is the true story of, you know, why they were murdered. But that was something. But at the same time, when you, you would game with him, when we play games together, he could play just the, the goofiest of characters sometimes. But then he would play these serious noble warrior types. I remember one campaign that we were all playing in, and he and I were both playing very you know, serious noble heroic characters, and the rest of the group was kind of more chaotic. And he and I would always do the back-to-back brother-to-brother thing and like you know the rest of you uh you know go ahead and be foolish we'll we'll defend you regardless you know when we play like buddy cops in a in in action movies together and um so that was always that was always something he had an infectious smile and uh an even more infectious laugh the few times you ever saw his temper that was also something to to witness and it wasn't um uh an outrageous um uh, or, or, or terrible thing and a out of control thing. It was more a matter of you could tell that this was a man who was absolutely dedicated to his principles and to what he would need to do uh, in the name of those principles and in the defense of those that he cared for. And uh, I always saw that about him as well. Um, I would say Robbie was a good and decent man. You now know a little bit of background on Robbie Bryant and Janelle Helms. And if you're like me, these short insights into who they were prior to joining up together in Athens paints a better picture of two individuals who would eventually balance one another out in the most clearly unique of ways. The lives they built together before their murders would be a life full of interesting hobbies. We were the big, epic, gaming, geek, nerd you have it club and overlapping relationships she was madly in love with janelle that janelle and i were lovers and a decision to build their future that would perhaps be the reason the two were killed in january of 1994. all of this and more next time on classic city crime i'm cameron J. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J. Original design by Kyle Kazaya. Research assistance provided by Elizabeth DeRusso. You can find us online at ClassicCityCrime.com, on Facebook and Instagram at Classic City Crime. And be sure to subscribe now to hear the next episode before it releases to the general public next week. And keep in mind, a portion of proceeds from this podcast production will be donated to Kelsey Bryant, the surviving daughter of Robbie and Janelle. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for your support.